The following presentation was recorded at the Buddhist Society of Victoria, Malvern East, Australia. Please visit our website at bsv.net.au. So this morning I thought uh, a very good subject uh, that came to mind actually because of our recent visitor. Do many, many people remember who was here recently? There was Ajahn Dan, and who was the other one? Venerable Dhammananda, yeah, well, Venerable Galkande Dhammananda. And I was so impressed with um, uh, the way uh, Venerable Dhammananda spoke, you know, the, the really uh, kind way he spoke, very calm way he spoke, and uh, very beautiful. It was really nice to see an example of right speech. Uh, and he is particularly, his mission, of course, is to heal divisions amongst the communities in Sri Lanka. And of course, this is very much hinging on right speech. But it also depends on where we're coming from and where he is coming from. His, this incredible sense of uh, calmness, harmlessness, very, very humble, very humble, I think, and, uh, and also very gentle and kind. And that speech, his speech was also of that quality. Because, of course, where we, our speech where, and our actions, where are they coming from? From our minds, from the qualities we've developed, either good qualities or bad qualities. And uh, I must say, I never heard him ever blame any particular group in, uh, that he was dealing with. And I was very impressed, too. He's not only interested in Sri Lanka, he's interested in healing divisions in communities throughout the world, but even here in Australia, he was talking to Aboriginal people about their experience. And uh, so he's looking at healing, bringing people together, healing those divisions that we so often have in, a, in society. So for me, that was quite a powerful teaching. And the, the power of that teaching was also really his character, his personality, the way he came across was coming from within him. So, so it really highlighted for me how important this right speech is, isn't it, for uh, creating harmony and how wrong speech creates these divisions. And it reminded me, and often I love this quote, I think many people will like this quote, welcome. <laughs> it's, called, it's from the Buddha, and it's from the Sutanipata, and it says, every person is born with an axe in their mouth. A fool who abuses, who uses abusive language, cuts themselves and others with that axe. Great, isn't it? Most people don't think like this, that uh, speech, what we say, is like an axe. It can really cut, it can really hurt, it can really create harm. But we don't have to use it. <laughs> and this is, this is where the training of Buddhism comes in, doesn't it? Because a lot of our speech, a lot of our actions, where is it coming from? Habit. It's also coming from the society, the time we live in as well. So that we tend to develop uh, ways of speaking that come, that are very current. So I'll talk a little bit about that later. So right speech, of course. I think everybody knows it's part of the Noble Eightfold Path. And it's the third 
third aspect, third spoke, we say, of the wheel of Dhamma. This is a right speech. And it's very important. Uh, right speech is sometimes, I think, when we look at the Noble Eightfold Path, especially when we focus so much on the meditation, right effort, right mindfulness, and right samadhi, we think these other things not so important. <laughs> of course, right the right view is always important. But sometimes we can think, you know, that right speech, right action, and a right livelihood not that important. But they are hugely important because this is where we spend a lot of our time. What do we do? Spending a lot of our time doing speaking and also acting and also going to work. Right livelihood is about right work. And so these areas actually really make a big impact because if we think we can sit down on the meditation cushion or the walking path and not have what we've been doing and saying in our daily life impact on our mind states, our meditation, wow, we, <laughs> that's not possible. It's created a momentum in the mind. It creates a groove in the mind. It creates habits and patterns in the mind. So this is very important that we practice uh, this right speech, learn uh, using mindfulness, practice right speech in our daily life. Because that will reinforce it. And it's, as I said, when I heard and uh, was with Venerable Dhammananda, it was just so beautiful to hear right speech, actually. It was very, very nice. Though I think sometimes some people might know might not know what he was speaking about because he was he was being so kind that <laughs> he wasn't he wasn't uh, telling us all the details. So it can be uh, so, and of course these are very important areas because we can get we see the effects of our speech, our action, our livelihood. We see that in our daily life, in our relationships in our family, with our friends, in the society we're in, we live in, the country we live in, and the world we live in. We see so much wrong speech. <laughs> I think there's so many good examples of wrong speech. It's just incredible in the world. And of course, this also is leading to a lot of the wars we have, isn't it? You see all this propaganda from both sides, you know, going this way and that way and all the blaming that's going, that goes on with it. And of course, when we realize this is really wrong speech is really hurting ourselves and hurting others as well, harming ourselves and harming others. So it's uh, in our interest to, when we see that, when we see the harm and the hurt from our speech, then it's an incentive to do something about it. It encourages us to think, no, this is not a good way to go. There must be a better way I can speak, say this. Sometimes we have to say things that are, are not pleasant. But as I, one of, the, one of uh, the teachers that I've listened to, Byron Katie, says, we can say no in a kind way. <laughs> she has this lovely, uh, I, I remember a long time ago hearing her say something like, Oh, you know, somebody coming to her and say, I know where you're coming from. I know what, what's going on in your life. It's very difficult. Yes, it is. And no. <laughs> so this is actually a training for all of us to be able to say no in a very good way. 
and to be able to say those difficult things. If you're in a position of authority where you have to give feedback to people too, to be able to give it to them in a good way, a way that they realise, yes, this is something to be taken notice of, but to do it in a way that is not um, going to be uh, hurting them, harming them. Uh, you know, So this is not easy, actually. And, of course, with wrong speech... I think most people, when we talk about wrong speech, they have a sense that, yeah, some speech is better than other speech. <laughs> Though the standard of speech, I think, in our society is falling, falling. And uh, so most people would, would think the things that the Buddha mentions as wrong speech, which I will deal with in a minute, are, yeah, they're not good. But one of them, gossip, no. I think the whole of the, a large part of the media, not the whole part, whole of the media, but a large part of the media is based on gossip. Gossip about celebrities, leaders and all that sort of thing. So, but one of the very important things with right speech and even with wrong speech is actually having the awareness that we are what we're saying. And of course, this all hinges on Mindfulness, doesn't it? We have to know that we're actually what we're saying. And uh, this mindfulness, if we don't have it, before we know it, it's out of our mouths. <laughs> We've said something that we can't, we can't wind it back in, can we? It'd be very nice if we could, like the video, just rewind, wipe that bit, and then continue. But we can't. Life's not like that. It's not an erasable video. <laughs> And the terrible thing with that is that people often remember those comments, can't believe it sometimes, whole life, whole lifetime. So this is very important, this mindfulness, because it gives us the opportunity to, come, to be present. So often we're not present. And when we're not present, of course, the, the auto-recordings play, the recorded message plays, and that's out before we know it. So this mindfulness can take us off autopilot, and it can make us also aware of the habits and patterns that we're using when we speak. Because that's really important. We may not be, some people are not aware of the patterns that they are using in their speech, where they're coming from. I see it in myself and others too. And when we have mindfulness, then we have a choice. We do actually have a choice because we realize we don't have to say this. We don't have to do this. But as I said, and it gives us the ability to say no if we have mindfulness, if we know what's going on in the present. Before we say something, we can say, no, I won't say that. And I always like um, uh, Bhante Gunaratana's uh, comment that he makes about right speech or wrong speech, really. He says, don't let anger tell you what to say. Don't let anger tell you what to say. And that's a very important teaching because it's realizing these defilements, they're not us. They're, they're qualities and bad qualities in the mind, negative qualities in the mind that are pushing us to say and act and think in ways that are not useful for ourselves, harm us and harm others. So it's very important. This mindfulness is really vital. If we don't know what's going on, if we're not present, <laughs> then we can say and do 
lots of things that we later regret. So I think everybody knows the four types of wrong speech, but I'll go through them and also uh, give a quotation from the Buddha on each of them with the balance too between what's wrong and what's right speech. Because if we can recognize wrong speech, that is one, there's a very big advantage in that. Often when we recognize something, we can avoid it. And it's like, I often use this simile, if we've got burglars coming into the house, if we see them, often, not always these days, they'll run off because they've been seen. Or if they see the CCTV, then they may run off too. <laughs> so this is very important. Just the recognition of, a, of something can be very useful for us to avoid negative things like negative or wrong speech. And of course, everybody knows lying is, uh, lying is uh, wrong speech. And we get some very good examples of it, but nevertheless, in ourselves and others too. And divisive speech, of course, you know, the speech that divides people, sets one group against the other. And this, of course, is a familiar game in uh, politics, particularly. <laughs> and it happens quite a lot. And harsh or abusive speech, and this is what uh, the Buddha was talking about when he talked about we are born with an axe in our mouths. And this is harsh speech, and I'll go into that in a minute. In a minute. And, of course, gossip is the last one. Sometimes it's called idle chatter. There's another translation too. But for me, idle chatter doesn't sound such a, a negative or wrong thing. It sounds like a waste of time, doesn't it? But... Um, but gossip, I think everybody can see the harm in gossip um, for people. And I'd like to uh, tell a Nazruddin story. Time for a Nazruddin story. <laughs> One day, Nazruddin had an appointment with a philosopher who was going to uh, come and they were going to have a discussion or a debate, probably more likely, the philosopher and Nasruddin. And he came, and Nasruddin completely forgot the appointment. And so the philosopher came, and he was in, he knocked on the door. Nasruddin didn't answer at all. So he wrote on the door, You st stupid oaf, stupid oaf. And he went off very angrily, stomping off probably <laughs> to his home. And Nazaruddin came home and he saw it on the door and said, oh, I've forgotten the appointment. I've forgotten the appointment. He saw this stupid oaf. And then he goes to the philosopher and he says, oh, sorry, I forgot the appointment. But when I saw your name on the door, <laughs> I remembered instantly. <laughs> the trouble with humour is it's often, often very, a bit got a negative undertone to it, hasn't it? It's true. It was point scoring for sure. <laughs> it, it makes us aware too that often when somebody says something negative to us or uh, hurtful to us, we come back with just the same. So this is something when, uh, when we do, when somebody does say something hurtful, just to put the brake on for a moment before we re reply or respond is very useful. I call that that, that reaction is, is instant karma. So it's bad, bad actions giving rise or bad speech, giving rise to bad speech and others. So, but it doesn't have to be the case, does it, really? And I'll go into that a little later. That 
We don't have to react with negative speech. We don't have to react with tit-for-tat, as they say, giving as good as we've got, we've been given. No, we have got a, got a choice, but it's only if we've got mindfulness have we got a choice. And only if we do see the harm in developing negative speech. And of course, negative speech these days is really getting, uh, is really extended because we've got, we've, you could say that uh, written is a form of speech, isn't it really? And even images and videos, of course, videos and audio, that's pretty obvious that it is. Images can be too a sort of form of speech and communication. And of course, the internet and, and the um, mass media, modern mass media, make this all pretty much intense and it's getting faster and faster. So it's uh, very important that we're aware of these, these avenues as potential for a wrong speech. It's where a lot of harm is happening, actually, you know, with these uh, particularly hate mails and those sorts of things. I remember... Uh, reading that uh, the uh, Prime Minister of New Zealand was getting this sort of hate mail and, uh, you know, sort of threatening mail, that sort of thing. So people do this anonymously, but this sort of, this is a very hard, very negative speech. So, and of course we, we get bullying for children, don't we, on the internet? That's a really quite serious problem too. And uh, so this is... This is uh, uh, just talking generally about um, a wrong speech. But there's two levels of practicing right speech. First of all, the minimum level, of course, is to recognize and then to refrain. <laughs> That's the hard bit, the refrain from that. And when we took the precepts, you remember the precepts, we are refraining from these various things, killing beings deliberately, uh, stealing, sexual misconduct, lying and taking alcohol and drugs. So this is a level that's quite important. It's not to be under, uh, underestimated because just by pulling up, by refraining from doing something, is, is, it will reduce the damage that can happen if we... Don't if we go ahead with our actions by body, speech, or mind. So this is one level, the level of restraining, and this is of course you know right effort. Right effort says avoid negative states of mind and let go of them. This is one aspect, and the other aspect, of course, is developing good speech, right speech, and this is the aspect of right effort that says. Let's develop this. Let's maintain this. So this this is very uh, very useful. So there's two aspects, as I said, refraining. That's good. That's good anyway. If this world refrained from killing living beings, stealing sexual misconduct, lying, and taking alcohol and drugs, it would be quite a different place. I sometimes say it would be like heaven, <laughs> and I think it would be pretty amazing. So I'll have a look when I'm talking. I'll talk about both sides. So it gives a bit of balance. Otherwise, it sounds pretty heavy, all this wrong speech and, and so on. But um, so we can have a look at that. And of course, um, the first one, of course, is false speech or lying, musawada, musawada, where are many? 
And uh, I'll read what the Buddha said about this, because I think it's always it's beautifully written, actually, especially the positive side. And he says, um, abandoning false speech, one abstains from false speech. One speaks truth, adheres to truth, is trustworthy and reliable. One is no deceiver of the world. That's lovely, isn't it? That's a beautiful way of putting it. Because often when we hear about the precepts, we think, oh, they're all so negative. But really, they're like the safety net. <laughs> they will protect us from doing these things, which will really be harmful for us in terms of karma, the, the uh, results or consequences, some of which we can see pretty instantly, some of which will come later in this life, and some in future lives. That's one nice thing about the, the Buddha's teachings, and we were talking about the Dhamma yesterday. It's vi directly visible. It's visible here and now. It's, and then the, the next one, Akalika, Akaliko, is that it's timeless, it's immediate, it's, it's happening now. So we can, this is now is the important thing. So we can see the results here and now. Because sometimes people say, well, karma, how do you know if that's the case? But I say sometimes this instant karma, wow, <laughs> we, we really get it very quickly. Yeah, and there are results, consequences from what I do and say and think. So, and of course, we can uh, ask ourselves, does, uh, I think most people would think, does, does lying create problems for ourselves and others? Or... And some people say this, actually. Or is it only a problem when we get caught? <laughs> some people think like that. It's okay if nobody knows about it. But who knows about it, in, even in that case? We do. We have to live with ourselves. So, and of course, to be a lie has to be intentional and deliberate. Um, uh, and has behind it that idea of, or we're trying to deceive people about what, is, what actually happened or, or what it actually is the case. And of course, what we see when there's lying, trust goes out the window. And this, of course, you can see in relationships, can't you? You know, and this is, it, 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 it ties in very much with sexual misconduct too. Once there are, there's lying in a relationship, then the partner thinks, can I trust them at all? You know, trust goes out the window, then the relationship can soon uh, collapse. So this, this uh, lying is very important uh, to avoid this, very important to have truth and to be able to... Um, sometimes people are uncomfortable <laughs> with the truth, especially if it's difficult to uh, tell people, and I'll mention that in a minute, how to, how to say the truth, speak the truth, without hurting the other person. So this is uh, something that uh, we can talk, I'll talk about. The Buddha actually had, a, and I'll talk about it now, how to deal with a speech that, um, uh, that could hurt people's feelings. And he said, if something were untrue, incorrect, and not beneficial, he wouldn't say it. But if it was true, and it was correct, but still unbeneficial, he wouldn't say it. And the third one, if something were true, correct, and beneficial, he would say it at the right time. And regardless of whether it was um, 
what people wanted to hear or not, whether it was welcome, it was agreeable, or whether they would find it disagreeable. Um, if he thought, if he felt that it was going to be beneficial for them, he would, he would say it. For us, it's difficult. What's the, th what's the most difficult aspect in those three? If we know something is, we can know something is true, we can know that is correct, but can we really know it's beneficial <laughs> for the other person? Because uh, I often think that the Buddha says, if we have any of the negative qualities of mind, like the five hindrances running, which they are most of the time, we don't know what's for our own benefit, the benefit of others, or for the benefit of both. So therefore, <laughs> this one is a bit difficult for us. Because we can, from delusion, think, oh, this is, this is going to help this person. I've got to tell them this. You know, They need to know this. And we think, we can think we're benefiting them, but that may not be the case. For a Buddha, no problems. <laughs> he has a very good idea. So this is uh, um, uh, very, very important. And of course, we, we can also, I think, honesty and truthfulness to ourselves is very important too. We can, as it were, be lying to ourselves about what's really going on for ourselves. To, to be honest is very important. Sometimes a bit hard, very hard for us to do. And we can often rationalize things. We're pretty good at that, rationalizing things uh, about thing, parts of our, uh, our life that we, we uh, can't accept. So this is very something to think of. And those white lies, I, I think that's what I was, that people we will often tell, you know, in order to avoid <laughs> hurting someone's feelings. They are another aspect of it. There's a nice story I heard um, with, uh, I, think, I think it's a real story too, with uh, uh, someone where rang um, the person and their child answered the phone and the, child, and the person said, is mummy there? And the child said, oh, no, mummy's not here. She just told me. <laughs> you know, children are great. <laughs> so that's, uh, but you realize how, you know, lying, it's not, a, it's not so easy. There are a lot of levels to it, aren't there, lying? That's the interesting thing. But having a commitment to truth is very important especially if because it's commitment to what's real and otherwise we're we're buying into our own and other people's delusions and illusions and if we want to uh, to uh, find truth understand truth understand the nature of reality we need to be practicing in a very truthful way and this is what uh, the Lord Buddha emphasizes when he taught his son, actually, the importance of truth. And he said, not even for a joke to tell uh, a lie. So he was making it quite strong. And the second type of speech I think we're all aware of, it's sometimes called malicious speech, pisunavacha, um, or divisive speech. I prefer divisive because pretty descriptive. And this is the Buddha mentions that, and he gives a very good, very clear, this is one of the things I think is fantastic about the Buddha's teaching, so clear and uh, straightforward. And he says, abandoning malicious or divisive speech, one abstains from malicious speech, one does not repeat elsewhere 
what one has heard here in order to divide those people from these, nor does one repeat to these people what one has heard elsewhere in order to divide these people from those. So it's a bit, it's pretty clear, isn't it, what the, what the motivation is. And he says, this is the positive, this is what we can practice. <laughs> thus, one, uh, it, uh, thus one is one who reunites those who are divided, a promoter of friendships, one who enjoys harmony, rejoices in harmony, delights in harmony, a speaker of words that promote harmony. Sounds very good. And that's what I heard when I, when I heard Venal Dhammananda. I thought, wow, this is great. And he, he needs to be someone like that, actually, because it's a very sensitive area in Sri Lanka, it would be healing communities. It always is a sensitive area, actually, so it's, it's very good. And, uh, of course, the aim, of course, the motivation is to divide people. And uh, sometimes... It's not always lies. It can sometimes be truthful, <laughs> what one's saying. But it's the sort of truth that will upset the other group and then divide them. And so one has to be really aware of the intention. And this is where we can remember, uh, of course, the axe in the mouth. But the Buddha always also use a very descriptive term, verbal daggers. <laughs> and when we're saying things that are very hurtful and harmful, we should think, wow, this is like an axe or it's like a verbal dagger. It's a dagger, it's a knife. And of course the intention is to harm and hurt. And it's coming from a place of cruelty. You really want to do uh, harm the other person, harm the other group. So, and it, sometimes our, this sort of speech can be disguised and like that we are speaking out of concern for one, one group of people um, when we're actually undermining them. Um, and sometimes it can be that we want to get one group on side <laughs> so we can get their thanks and we can uh, win their friendship, that sort of thing, and appreciation. So we have to be aware of where we're coming from. Um, and of course, a lot of this divisive speech, where does it happen? In politics, big time. Of course, everybody wants to say we're better than the other group. And and if you can make the other group look like the, the real enemy, then you get more support, more um, power to, in that case. So it's very, this divisive speech is very harmful and it's not good for our spiritual development either. But if we have mindfulness, we can be aware where we're coming from. It's not a good place, so I don't need to get involved with this. And so, and refraining from harsh speech or abusive speech, and this is parusavacca, and developing instead kind and gentle speech. And the Buddha mentions abandoning harsh speech, one abstains from harsh speech, one speaks such words that are gentle, pleasing to the ear and lovable, as to go to the heart, are, cu are courteous, desired by many and agreeable to many. Sounds great. <laughs> Do many of you hear speech like that? <laughs> I think it's very rare. That's why I was very impressed with Vinod Dhammananda. I never heard him say any, blame anybody or criticize anybody. And yet he's trying to, you know, because when we, when we focus on healing divisions, we can focus on those divisions a bit too much. But it's very nice to hear uh, this sort of 
um, gentle speech, this kind speech. And of course, this harsh speech is uh, includes uh, you know things like swearing, which is is very much uh, a part of Australian society, and getting more so in the YouTube and all these sorts of things. Uh, it's becoming more and more common in the uh, in 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 uh, the uh, internet. And of course, sarcasm. That's a really uh, a hurtful one, isn't it, for us? Sometimes when people are sarcastic, wow, that can be dreadful. I'm sure that Nazarudin was quite good at it. <laughs> that comment about, you stupid oaf, I saw your name on the door. <laughs> I think it's probably sarcasm. But also hypocrisy, isn't it? That's sort of a form of... Uh, speech and sometimes too people can be really and I have heard seen this and it's it's much stronger in some some cultures than others the speech is too blunt you know they, they we could say calling a spade a spade but too much <laughs> so that the uh, it, the person is really hurt by that and sometimes harsh speech can be this belittling criticism you know really um, bringing the person down and of course Worst ones, bullying is pretty is a very abusive or a harsh speech and blackmail. And the motivation's always where's it coming from? Anger, ill will, negativity. And of course, uh, these things will come back to us. <laughs> the more more we they're like boomerangs, they will come back to us. And of course this leaves scars on people too, this sort of harsh speech. And I always remember a friend of mine who um, especially when people use this verbal abuse, and it, um, he used to say he said that he he had quite a difficult time with his mother, and he said he wished she'd hit him rather than the things she said, because <laughs> we often forget sometimes the language can be actually so hurtful for people, so so harmful. And in terms of abusive speech, I'll mention a story that I love. This story is great. And this was about a Greek philosopher who it actually comes from the Desert Fathers. This is a Christian tradition in, the, uh, in Egypt, uh, very, not that long after Christ. And it, this Greek philosopher, he commanded all his one of his disciples, not all his disciples, we could practice this. Every time you're insulted, you have to pay the person who insults you. That's what he said to his student. And the student practiced this for, it says here, three years. You know, every time someone insulted him, which is probably not all the time, he'd give them money. That'd be amazing, wouldn't it? It'd probably encourage insults. <laughs> More of it, really. People would say, well, you're short of cash. <laughs> Go and see him. You can, <laughs> he'll pay you. <laughs> so, and after three years, the, this teacher, this master, he said to him, now you're ready to go to Athens and to learn wisdom. And he entered, when he arrived at the gates of Athens, it says, I don't know if this can be the case, a certain wise man was at the gate and he was insulting and abusing everyone that came through. And he insulted and abused this person, this uh, student. And he just laughed. And the, uh, this wise, certain wise person said, why are you laughing? He said, I used to, I'm getting this free. I used to have to pay for this. <laughs> and then, then that wise person said, enter the city. 
He said, it is all yours. Because <laughs> anybody that can, can endure abuse like this, it's a really good training in a sense, not to encourage it, and certainly paying it might have encouraged it, <laughs> because then, you know, because when we're abused, the ego comes up, everything comes up. And when we just see what's happening and we can actually step back from it and say, this is the other person's problem, not mine, really. If I react, if I'm abusive back to them, of course, then it's my problem too. <laughs> but to learn that is really, really tough. And that evidently the, one of the Christian, one of the desert fathers, Abbot John, used to say, this is the door of God by which our fathers, rejoicing in many tribulations, enter into the city of heaven. So it's a definitely a good test, isn't it? So there we are. That's a wonderful one. So that's uh, harsh speech. And now gossip, you know, and I think this is, or idle chatter, sampapalapa vacha. It's a very difficult word in Bali, sampapalapa. So it's, uh, this is what the Buddha says, and developing meaningful speech is, is the uh, opposite. And the Buddha mentions abandoning gossip, one abstains from gossip. One speaks at the right time. One speaks what's, what is fact, speaks on what is good, speaks on the dhamma and training or discipline, that's like precepts, and at the right time one speaks such words as are worthy of recording that are reasonable, moderate and beneficial. I hope my speech is worthy of recording. It's happening anyway. <laughs> So this is this is the opposite of gossip, you know. It's something that is is in, is fact. Um, we're speaking at the right time, and uh, it's talking about things that are meaningful to us. And that is one of the great things of having spiritual friends. You can talk about things that matter, you know, things that are uh, about life, about the deeper aspects of lives. Many of our friends, we can't speak to them about those sorts of things. They're not interested, and they have other other things that they like. So this is very useful to have spiritual friends so we can speak about these things. And you will all notice, of course, gossip is always interesting, and celebrities and so on, people are always interested in their lives. One of the, the good things, in one of the, uh, the aspects of, of gossip from that point of view that is interesting for me is that you see... It, the suffering in these people's lives. I mean, the royal family now. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> they're in the media. They have, if they cough, they're in the media. If they do anything, they're in the media. So, And they're certainly getting a teaching like that Greek philosopher was giving to his student. I mean, some of the headlines I read about Megan and Harriet, I think, oh, my goodness, how can people say those things? <laughs> you know. So, and, of course, um, gossip is... The, is a, a mainstay of uh, the, the mass media of the internet, and it leads to a lot of problems and quarrels and misunderstanding. It wastes our time for sure, <laughs> and confuses the mind. So, and it's very damaging because some of these, uh, some of the gossip that gets around can really destroy people's reputations and their lives, can't it? So this is something we can keep in mind when we are tempted to gossip. Gossip used to be something that happened over the fence, didn't it? <laughs> if 
people. And that, in a way, that did have a positive quality to it because it meant neighbours were speaking to each other. We knew who we were living next door to, whereas today that may not be the case. So that is, that is the... Uh, and, of course, that's the four aspects of wrong speech and right speech. And I just mentioned, to finish off, a very important uh, aspect of it. And so the test for skillful speech, how do we avoid uh, um, wrong speech or bad speech? And we can't go past the advice that the Buddha gave to his son, Rahula, Venerable Rahula, when he said, before we speak or act or think, we should reflect. And uh, during speaking, acting or thinking, we should reflect. Afterwards, we should reflect uh, um, but, uh, whether we're speaking, acting, or thinking. And what should we reflect? Does this harm me? Does this harm the other, other others, or both? Where is this coming from? Is it coming from a good place? Is it coming from letting go, kindness, uh, gentleness, uh, from uh, yes, from meta and what were the consequences of my action, my speech, and my thinking? What were the consequences? Were they pleasant or were they painful? I don't think we can go past that is a really good way, especially if we can be, before we speak, before we act, this is very helpful. It's not, very, not always very easy. Sometimes people say, if I have to go through this checklist... I won't, have, I won't be able to speak at all. I won't be able to act at all. Maybe not a bad thing. <laughs> we'll have less to regret that way. So, so that is very, uh, very useful. And of course, the, uh, as I mentioned, some of these things were already mentioned, but I think they're useful. Test for skillful or right speech. Is it the right time? Worst time to tell somebody something they don't want to hear is if there's a big group around. <laughs> we do, and we choose a time when they're in a, a good state of mind, not too busy or whatever. This is very respectful that way, and we stick to the facts. And it's got to be beneficial for them, too, helpful for them, or we think it is. And we should say it in a gentle or soft way, not shouting or, or in a, a very aggressive fashion and always from loving-kindness. This is, can't go wrong, really, with loving-kindness. If we use that, if we develop that quality in the mind, then our actions and speech are more likely to come from this gentleness, this kindness. So, and, of course, one of the things, too, when we are talking to people, pointing out things to people, often good to keep in mind, and the Buddha mentions this to the monks, do we do the same? <laughs> or are we speaking in the same way? So this is good to keep in mind, always to have that. And as I mentioned, to keep mindfulness, to have this mindfulness of what we're saying. So we have some uh, ability to know what's going on and some choice about what, how we respond. And so this is very uh, something very uh, useful. And of course... One of the things that uh, is always a difficult issue, and I just mentioned in passing, is, the, and it's something we should think about, how, should we interrupt hate speech? Should we interrupt hate speech? It takes a lot of courage to do it, and to do it in a good way. When we hear people 
you know, going on about one group in the community or another group in the community. How do we face that? How do we deal with that in a very constructive way? I should have asked this of Venerable Dhammananda because he probably hears it a lot, actually. So, And we'll need, in order to deal with that, we need to be mindful, we need to be patient, and we need to understand too. So in conclusion, let's... Uh, check up when we speak. <laughs> Another checklist. And as I said, it's always that. Is it true? Is it kind? Is it beneficial? Does it harm oneself or anyone else? Is this the right time to say something? And always to keep in mind Ajahn Brahm's uh, definition of sama sankapa, right intention. Let go, be kind, be gentle. <laughs> we can't go wrong. So thank you very much for, for listening to that. There we go. I hope, hope it was right speech. <laughs> oh, perfect example of wrong speech. Any questions, comments, complaints? Yes, Dr. Jaya, yes. Yeah. Is it, is it going? It's hard to, one of those mics is very hard. You've got to turn, hold. Ah, that's it. Yes, oh, Dr. Oh, John. Oh, John. Oh. Good morning. At the time of the Buddha, mm. uh, speech is all about verbal communication between yeah, individuals. Uh, at the time of the Buddha, mm. I think that's the only, if not the only, is the main mm. form of communication between individuals. Mm. After all, uh, uh, we are interconnected, interdependent species, mm. human mm. beings. So communication is very important mm. to, uh, for well-being, over destruction. Mm. So Buddha used the word right speech mm. for the purpose of welfare of everyone. Mm. And wrong speech will be destruction and suffering for everyone. Mm. If you look at today's world, Communication by verbal communication is not the most important way of communicating. Mm -hmm. We have to incorporate into this noble samma uh, vacha uh, all other forms of communication, mm -hmm. social media, True. papers, uh, internet, mm -hmm. all those things are mm -hmm. in it. Mm -hmm. So today when we talk of samma vacha, mm -hmm. We are referring to all those forms of communication. Mm. But that will bring either well-being or destruction and suffering. Mm. If you look at the world today, all the suffering is on the basis of false propaganda, false speech, mm. miscommunication, misinterpretation, mm. uh, deception, and all that. Mm. So we have to remember, uh, when we talk of false speech, all these things are valid for today's life. Thank you for that. That's very true. And that's become quite a big area, the internet. And also that whole whole scenario of when, when what is fake news, this term, is, it, it just throws everything into question, the, the truth of, of, of a lot of things when people say this is fake news or that's fake news. 
but I always feel that if you hear things from a number of different angles, it gives you a better idea of what could be the truth. Yeah. So thank you for that. It's very important, actually. And the internet is impacting on our lives in such a big way. And we shouldn't minimalize to music and art and uh, as forms of communication even perhaps in the time of the Buddha, some of the messages that are coming through in music, particularly very influential in our lives. Um, so this is something, we, all the different forms of speech, as it were, that uh, are coming to play now. Yeah. We live in a very interesting time, too interesting. <laughs> so are there any other questions? Oh, one, first, I've got one more question here. One on, we usually alternate, just in a minute. We'll, we'll Pianto, so thank you, Ajahn Nisarano. Yes, uh, Maria online has a question about abusive speech. She says, yes. yep. uh, thank you, this is so important. I still struggle with the abusive names my mother called me as a child. I'm 70 yep. years old, I do meta and it helps. Any suggestions, please? Yes, um, yes, of course, that was uh, one of the things that can help. Um, I think meta is the best thing, really, in that case, really. Just to the, that sort of um, self-healing, that self-kindness, um, that being your own best friend, giving support to yourself, being the mother that your mother wasn't in those cases. Hopefully in other situations she was okay. And, of course, remembering that there were other aspects to your mother, I hope, <laughs> that were good. But the speech can be so, so hurtful. And... Um, one of the things that is very obvious, of course, and I keep it in mind whenever I experience things that I, I wish hadn't happened or shouldn't be like that whenever I, when I think that it shouldn't, that can create such turmoil in the mind. But then I think, it's finished, it's done, it happened. I can let, the ability to let go of it is, is, is really what you're talking about, how to let go of of that hurtful speech your mother said. But to partly to rec recognise, yeah, it's finished. I'm not that child. She's not that person anymore that she was. And one of the very interesting things with our parents is we are their children, but as they age, as they become very old, they become our children. <laughs> and it's not a time for getting back at them either. <laughs> Life, ageing, that's enough of uh, dukkha in anybody's life, suffering in anybody's life. So to just keep that kindness in your mind and look for anything that allows you to let go, to understand your mother's not that person that hurt you then, even though those things were really hurtful, um, may help. That's a, a Nietzsche, you know, the impermanence of all this and the causality too. And the non-self is often very helpful too which is, you know, that that person that your mother was is no longer the same person now, which is good, hopefully. So thank you for that question. It's not an easy one, yeah. Yes, Supianto, good morning. Hello, Ajahn. Yeah. Good morning, Ajahn. Yeah. Thank you, Ajahn, for the talk. Good. Um, I'd like to share a story. Yeah. Um... Let's take this as a Jataka. So, let's say, uh, in a factory, there were many people work in the factory. Mm -hmm. And there was the general manager. 
Mm. And there was um, other people who work in the factory, like the machine operators and the packers. Mm. And one day, the machine operator, this machine operator has been working there for a few years. Mm. And he had a work accident and uh, he had to have a surgery and off work for a few days. Mm. And then after the surgery, he got better yes. and went back to work on oh, light good. duty. Yep. And uh after a few weeks he he got better and the doctor said he can go back to uh when he went back to the light duty he worked as the packer mm. and after a few weeks he got fully recovered the mm. doctor said the doctor gave him a full capacity to return to work good good yeah and so the doctor told him that he can go back to his previous job as mm. machine operator mm. because he is fully recovered. recovered. Mm. And there was also return to work officer mm. involved. And the return to work officer from Safe Victoria made a, a plan already for him to return to his previous work. Mm. Good. So, the next day, this machine operator wanted to talk to the general manager. Mm. Mm. But the general manager walked away uh -huh. for some reason. And then, uh, the machine operator thought he might be busy. Yeah. And then, uh, after a few days, the machine operator went to the general manager office and ask the general manager, uh, have you received the return to work plan? Right, right. The general manager said, I don't want to discuss it with you. Go back to your work. Right. So the machine operator, the this worker went back to his work as packer uh, with a confusion. Mm. Why? Yes. With so, his confusion in his mind. And then after a few days, few more days, or after one week actually, and the this worker went back to see the general manager mm. and asked him again, oh, "Have you received the return to work plan?" The general manager got angry. The general manager said, "Go back to your work." Right. Then the worker asks him, why? Right. And then when the worker asks him why, mm -hmm. the general manager terminates him. Oh. You need to go now. You, you are sack terminated. Him. Yeah, sack him. Sack him. Mm. So I like to get the opinion from this, from <laughs> uh, my dear friends here. Do you think the general manager is at fault? 
How I many? Raise hand if you think he's no, at fault. No, no. I think Supianto, I don't know if that's really going to help. Whether we think that is the case or not is, is not. Uh, it's a difficult situation you, you, you mentioned, I think very difficult. And it's a shame that uh, there wasn't more explanation, understanding of what was going on and why the, um, why the, uh, the um, general manager wasn't. Being truthful about what the what what was a problem, yeah. So I think that's the way life can often be. Um, but I, th I think if one uh, deals with that in the best possible way, and I don't know how that person dealt with it. Um, then that's that's what we can do. They can always make a complaint, <laughs> another complaint. So thanks for that question. You can ask. No, you can ask at the the dana time because there's probably probably a question. Yeah, come after the lunch. Yeah, yeah, later on. That's good. And any questions online? Yeah, there is one. Yeah, um, it, it is very contemporary. So yeah. the question is about the emergence of AI. Oh yes. Which I think one could say is a form of a different form of speech but also um, learns and um, adapts, right? So yes, it's, it's right. also affecting what you read and how you engage your yes. speech um, through things like the internet. Yeah. I'm kind of paraphrasing, it's a bit long, but the question is, do you have any uh, insight or advice um, or do monks have an, any insight or guidance uh, about the emergence of AI? Yes, well, I, I'm not an expert on it, so <laughs> very difficult to say. <laughs> But the people that are experts are saying put a break on it now, aren't they? Or some of those that are in the know. And I heard Bill Gates say it a few years ago, and Elon Musk is even saying it now, put a break on it. So if these people are saying it, because I think it could very well, you know, it could very well get out of hand, and that's the concern, and, um, you know, create a lot of problems for human beings uh, particularly. So... But uh, yes, so AI, artificial intelligence, yes. Is it the threat people say it is? It could well be. And uh, it's just something I think good to take the expert's advice, just hold on. <laughs> Very good. So I'd like to finish off there because it's now quarter two. I think that's good. And uh, for those who... Oh, there's one question. Oh, hello, Angie. Good morning. Just one question and we... Yes, I think I know what the question will be about. <laughs> <laughs> I have a feeling. Morning, Ajahn. Good morning, Angie. Yeah, thank nice you to for see you. your Dhamma talk. Yes. Um, my question is um, today, actually, this week, we pray to our dead ancestor. We call it Cheng Ming. Cheng Ming, yes. 10 days before and 10 days after. Ah, so that's I was good. wondering we can have a bit of special prayer today to our ancestors Sisters. who pass away. All Thank right. you. Yeah. And the other question is, yeah, sometimes mm -hmm. it's not easy to learn to um, forgive <laughs> yes. when you have a lot of um, upsets up and down, you know, with relationship, husband and wife. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not that easy sometimes. Yeah. So sometimes the best way I feel is just go away instead of, you know, let go. We just go away and things mm. will be a lot better. Yeah, no, That's I think my 
Thanks for that, yeah. Angie. Yeah. Because otherwise, you know, it's not easy to, like Ajahn Brahm said, you know, AFL, effect, forgive and learn. That's right. <laughs> Accept, forgive and learn. That's yeah. good. Thank you. Oh, Satu. 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 Thanks, Angie. That's a very good one because sometimes if we do move away from situations, it's better than staying there and them getting worse. Um, if we can move away from them, even temporarily, get a breather, then, um, you know, maybe we'll avoid wrong speech or bad speech. <laughs> and uh, But also to see that forgiveness, and this is also for the person who was talking about their mother, forgiveness is something that we get the benefit from. We get the benefit if we forgive. We're unburdening ourselves. So it's it's something if we can do genuinely, it will really benefit us, you know, because then we don't have to carry that baggage of, you know, um, um, not forgiving the person of, of um, you know, all the negativity in the mind of being hurt and all this. So thank you for that. And we will do the dedication of merits next door for uh, Ching Ming. I think very good that we remember our, our ancestors, those uh, that made it possible for us to be here now, our parents particularly, <laughs> and we can dedicate merit to them too. So those who would like to, we can pay respects to the Buddha Dhamma and the Sangha to finish off. <laughs>